0: Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Here in Starkville, surprise, surprise, it's where I plan to be for the balance of this year. It's been uh, been a busy stretch, as you guys know. It's uh, it's good to be back. My sister Reagan told me last night that I was getting sick. I don't think so, but uh, nevertheless, it's uh, it's Friday football day, which means tomorrow we play the University of Alabama. We're going to break down Alabama. We got A top 10 list that's uh, kind of an ode to Nick Saban. Yeah, Roy captured the uh, list of each SEC football coach's favorite artist. And so we're going to do a top 10 list based on Nick Saban's favorite musical act today. We've done this band before, but uh, we put some parameters and some guardrails to give you a little bit of history, but also kind of give you a different look. You know, that's what we do. We're innovative here at the Boneyard. But uh, it's good to be back. The wife will be back for good today. I know many of you are tired of hearing about that. <laughs> I can assure you, nobody's more eager than I am to move on from that topic. But uh, has completed her last ship as a travel nurse. And I'll be headed home today and it's... gotta um, be getting this true rest thing up and going. Yep. And I uh, went by yesterday and saw the space and uh, they're doing all the foundation work and all the great things are happening. And uh, appreciate everybody's enthusiasm and your exuberance about the new business. And uh, you can get more information at truerest.com. Kind of check it out. It's really special for us to be able to bring this to Mississippi. It's true. Uh, First True Rest franchise in the state of Mississippi right here in Starkville. We're trying to make Starkville a better place. I know many of you uh, love that sort of thing. And there were some people when we first began this said, Oh, you know, you should consider Jackson or Madison or Ridgeland or Tupelo. Well, I don't live those places. I live here, and so we're going to do what we can to make Starkville a better place, and uh, so we will got some uh, some things to do, obviously, some some uh, some hurdles to clear as we finish up here, but uh, pretty soon we'll have you a really cool place to go get some rest and relaxation and I don't know, maybe address some of your physical needs as well as your mental needs. So we're excited about that, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be able to sleep in my own bed for a bit. I think I told you guys uh, five five states in seven days i laid my head in five different states in seven days and uh, i know my dogs miss me and we still continue to do the show but uh, it takes a lot out of me i'm getting older i don't recover the way i used to but uh, yeah yesterday i just kind of needed a minute man just kind of get caught up on everything get home get settled and i want to thank so many of you that have reached out to wish us well about our new granddaughter uh lillian reagan robertson And we're going to call her Lily Ray because we're Southerners. That's what we do here in the South. Uh, But she's doing great. Mom's doing great. Everybody's home and doing well. And our oldest granddaughter, Vivi, uh, just absolutely adores her baby sister. And as I told her, as I went to, uh, you know, what grandfathers do, I told her ahead of time when I got there, hey, I'm going to go get you some donuts for breakfast. And she let me know that uh, she wanted a pink one. A pink donut. So I go grab that. Of course, she eats about two bites of it. But, but uh, hey, you know, my uh, intentions were good. That's what grandfathers do, man. That's what we do. I had a donut or two myself. Yeah, just so you know. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. No donuts there unless you get the uh, Shipley donut bread pudding. But uh, Brett, Bulldog Burger Company, an absolute gem of a place to go eat. I love going in there, and uh, I'll be in there next week. At some point, I'm going to let you guys have the run of the place this weekend. And uh, while you're in town, certainly go by and see Bulldog Burger Company. Three great locations to serve you. Many of you, maybe your best bet is to, like, stop at Bulldog Burger Company on your way to town. Because you can do that, right, in the Ridge and Flowwood area, Lake Harbor Drive. You can do it in uh, Tupelo over there at Gloucester Street. So maybe, like, do it on your way to town. Now, when you hit campus and you, you get to Starkville, like, you're wide open in football mode. But uh, you may want to go to the flagship right there in the heart of the Cotton District. Uh, I love Bulldog Burger Company. You do too. I've loved them for a long time. And uh, get the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. But the main reason you go is because of those great restaurant quality hamburgers. One of the fine delicacies in life that we afford ourselves and nobody doing it better than Bulldog Burger Company. Uh, and maybe you don't want to eat that heavy. You say, you know what, Steve? I'm uh, you know, kind of watching things a little bit. Cool. Get the BLT salad. I'd recommend you get it grilled. But you can get it fried if you'd like. I don't judge, man. You get your salads the way you want them. But uh, the, por- the portions are so substantial. That's the thing that always stands out to me is every time that I go to Bulldog Burger Company, I leave satisfied. I leave fulfilled. I leave nourished. Right? I mean, the main reason you eat is to sustain life but uh, you might as well enjoy that too and that's the best thing about bulldog burger company is you can take care of all your physical needs and have a great meal and enjoy every bite of it bulldog burger company the place where people go to meet m-e-a-t all right let's take a look at alabama now usually usually uh when you're you're facing alabama you say you know what hey this is a certain loss and when the schedule came out we all said you know what hey we lost to them what 15 years in a row Yeah, we're going to lose the game. There's a good chance we're going to lose the game. Just go ahead and call it for what it is. But this is a very vulnerable Alabama team. This is not the Alabama team that you've expected. You know, last year a lot of people thought, hey, you know, maybe the Alabama thing is kind of teetering a little bit because LSU comes from behind and wins the West last year. They beat Alabama to take control of the West. Kind of flew under the radar because everybody just kind of accepted, that hey, it's going to be Alabama and Georgia. Well, it wasn't. This year, in the preseason, there were a lot of people that uh, said, hey, you know, this Alabama team's got some issues. We talked a little bit on the show, but I, I thought Alabama would be better than they have been. And I still think talent shows up. They'll figure some things out. But did you ever think we'd be in a situation where Alabama didn't have quarterback? That's kind of where we are. Quarterback play has been the real issue with this team. You're like us, you're a new offensive coordinator, new scheme. They've had some growing pains. And, uh, you know, we're only acutely aware of what happens with the teams that we cheer for, right? But this Alabama offense has got trouble. They do. Uh, the tied 3-1 and one on this season. They open up with an impressive 56-7 win over Middle Tennessee State. But, you know, in all due respect... You and I probably could have called plays against middle and won that game because you can out-athlete them. No disrespect to the Blue Raiders, but uh, Alabama is going to win that game 99 times out of 100. Since that ball game, this offense has been rather anemic. They lose to Texas 34-24 and uh, really, really sloppy performance. The next week you say, okay, well, they'll write the ship. They go to South Florida. They had a lot of players that uh, that were kind of questionable. They didn't play them. And they win the game 17-3. to Not impressive at all. And then last week against Ole Miss, even though they win the ball game, they basically do it because of their defense, 24-10. to So since that opening weekend, Alabama's scored 24 points twice and less than 20 once. And that was against South Florida. You wouldn't expect that. Now, you, you know, listen. Against Ole Miss, you expect a competitive ball game. You know, hey, give the, the the Rebels some credit. They've had some days that uh, things have gone well, but um, they've had some others that haven't. You know, they've had some big blowout losses to Alabama as well. But, you know, with that Ole Miss offense, you felt like, well, you know, that they can make this game competitive. It was, but Ole Miss only scores ten points. So, defensively, outside of the uh, – the, the Longhorn game you, you think that's kind of the outlier. this team has played pretty well but three and one and there is a lot of concern down 82. A lot of people are worried about what is to come. Uh, you look at the schedule for them of course you know back to back road games. they're going to be at Mississippi State this weekend and then next weekend go to AM they will host Arkansas and then Tennessee and then LSU they're at Kentucky. They finish up with UT Chattanooga and then travel to Auburn. Based on what we've seen through four weeks, you look at that and say, you know what, this team is not done losing ball games, And this is a very meaty part of the schedule here uh, as we get in October. You're, you're going to play, uh, you know, four consecutive weeks. You get the, uh, the open date there before LSU. But there's a good chance they lose a ball game or two. And who'd have thought we'd have been saying that at the beginning of the year, that, hey, we could enter the month of November and Alabama could have three losses. I didn't expect that. I thought Alabama was going to be much better. And, again, you look at it, you, you get so in tune with what happens with your program and say, wait, well, you know, it's still Alabama, though. That's what I always told myself. It's like, hey, the, the, the supporting cast around the quarterback is so good, they'll figure some things out. And I don't know if you looked at this old Miss game last week, uh, with Alabama, many of you probably watched it. Uh, it's um, it's one of those games you look at, and it's like, it was really, I hate to say that it was a great defensive game. It was really a game of offensive ineptitude. You know, defense played well, but part of the reason they played well is because neither offense was really uh, legit. And listen, Alabama got some calls and got some no calls that went their way. You saw the play, the clip that made the, uh, you know, the rounds out there where, Jackson Dart gets face-masked and targeted on the same play, and they don't call it. And there's all this talk about protecting the quarterback. I mean, how many times does it seem like we get, you know, I go back to the uh, game at BYU a couple years ago, right? You know, Will comes off that right-side blitz uh, on a fourth down play, and he just touches the quarterback's helmet, just touched it. it. Ends up costing us a football game. And then you've got a situation right here where an SEC quarterback – it's face masked and targeted in full view of the officials, and nothing, nothing's done. They didn't re- replay it. And you got to know that going over there. Anytime you go to Bryant Denny Stadium, you got to know you got to be three or four scores better than them because if the officials have a chance to make a play here, they're going to make a play. And I don't care what anybody says, and I know there's all, I, I'm going to get some text a little bit later. Well, Steve, same old conspiracy theories to Alabama. Well, you know, they're true. What do you want me to say? The evidence supports that. And the, the thing about it is, is I wrote, it seemed like every year I write a column about how bad we get screwed against Alabama. But you go back and you look, I mean, the, the evidence is there. I mean, Jeff Batts, a guy that threw the, uh, the phantom block and the back penalty on Dedrick Thomas on Colin Hill's touchdown run during the Jim Moorhead era. The guy gets suspended from officiating SEC games. And let's not forget the whole Calvin Ridley thing, right? He... he runs out of bounds of his own volition, and then the son of a former Alabama quarterback, right in front of me and Mike Nemeth, tells Kenny Williamson, I've got a force out on the Alabama wide receiver. It costs us the game. You know, so don't sit here and tell me. what, Because, you know, it can't be so coincidental. And I'm a conspiracy theorist at heart anyway. But it can't be every single year there continues to be these issues that pop up over and over and over and over and over again, you know? And that was one of the things that I appealed to uh, the SEC office is it's not enough to say, well, because the SEC rules suggest an official cannot officiate a game of their alma mater or their spouse's alma mater. Okay. So you mean to tell me that the son of an Alabama quarterback is not going to have an inherent bias in favor of the Crimson Tide? And Alabama doesn't need the help. They may this year, but these are the things that every single year. And of course, the Alabama fans, oh, Steve it's just sour grapes. Yeah, you know, it's not sour grapes when it keep, keeps happening. You know, it's a listen. Let, let's be objective here. You know, we've had some calls in the past that have gone in our favor, but it seems that every time we play Alabama, you know, we have to play a perfect game, and then when we're playing a game that maybe is not perfect but is close to being perfect, the officials seem to always step in. I don't care what anybody says. I've seen too much. Matter of fact, last year, I had a chance to see a lot of film uh, at Mississippi State. You know, you're supposed to send in, what, five, six, seven plays? I think Mississippi State sent in about 20. It's ridiculous. But anyway, you feel like I'm making excuses ahead of time. Uh, But let's go back to this Alabama Ole Miss game here quickly. Uh, Big crowd always is, you know, and, and you'd expect that. But, uh, guys, it was a 7-3 to three game after one and 7-6 to six at the break. And a lot of people were thinking, you know what? Maybe this uh, Ole Miss team can get them. You know, m- maybe they can. You know, Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin do a great job on that opening drive, kind of scripting things out, running tempo and getting down the field and getting an early advantage. Well, they didn't score on the first drive. Alabama goes down and takes a 3-0 lead, but Ole Miss rallies right back on the second drive and makes a 7-3. to three. And from there, it really wasn't much of a ball game as far as, like, crisp offensive execution. You know, there were a couple nice drives both teams put together. But uh, on the Ole Miss side of things, it just wasn't uh, wasn't great. You know, they get that 75-yard touchdown drive. That proved to be the longest sustained drive of the day for Ole Miss. That was it. Then the the very next drive, three and out. The next one, three and out. The next one, three and out. So, after the touchdown, Ole Miss puts together three consecutive three and outs. Alabama defense does a good job kind of slowing the game down for them. Uh, They have one other drive that gets deep. They get a field goal out of it. But 14 play, 58 yards uh, there in the third quarter. Ole Miss had one drive in the fourth quarter. That's it. Alabama played the key Excuse me. They had two drives. Excuse me. One – one of them was just four plays for one yard, so you could see how I'd miss that. But uh, not a lot of sustained offense in this ballgame. And you go back and look here at the you know, the team numbers here, Alabama getting it done kind of with some balance here. They have 20 first downs in the game, nine rushing, nine passing. But 131 yards rushing, 225 yards passing uh, in the ballgame, and you know, we talk about dual-threat quarterbacks giving State a lot of trouble, and they have been. I don't know what to expect from Mel But I know this, he's probably licking his chops thinking, you know what, when I drop back on third down, my first two reads aren't there, I'm just going to run to the middle of the field. we got to change what we're doing in that respect. But uh, Alabama just 356 yards of offense, Ole Miss with 301 in the game. Uh, Alabama punted just three times with an average of 48.3. But uh, yeah, in the second half of this ballgame, Alabama just kind of took over. There's a difference in the talent. I don't care what the recruiting rankings say. Uh, Alabama, when the game was online, says, you know what, we got this. We're done with this. But Milroe, 17-21 to in the game. And based on the way that we have defended the pass the last two weeks, I mean, you know, goodness gracious, you know, I'm sure Jalen Milroe is looking at this saying, you know what, I got a chance to have a big ball game. He was sacked four times. Ole Miss able to get to him uh, for sure. But uh, Jason McClellan leading the team with 105 yards rushing in the ball game. Milro ran 16 times for 28 yards. It's going to be awfully interesting. Awfully interesting to see how this thing kind of shakes loose here. But, um, yeah, a lot of people thought Ole Miss would go win the ballgame. I didn't think so. Because I'm, I'm not a big fan of this Ole Miss offense without a healthy Quinchon Judkins. And uh, you, you lose two electric receivers uh, in Malik Heath and John Domingo, You know, you don't get better. I know you can get in the portal and you get some pieces, but uh, – Ole Miss lost too much on offense to expect them to be as explosive. And then on top of that, Judkins has been hurt. And so, you know, we'll see how long it takes him to get healthy. And is this going to be something that lingers all year. Uh, but after a physical ball game against, you know, Ole Miss, against Alabama, I'm sure he's not feeling great today. But uh, eager to see what this team – Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's Objective Finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie, it loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explained the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let Nerd Wallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to the NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vests. And we go up there, and just in case one of the Cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scoot. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Looks like once we get him on the field, the main thing we have to do is we can't play the Alabama Mystique. And we have a tendency to do that. You know, when Sylvester Croom was here, he was able to use that and kind of work that as, as a motivating factor. And I remember the big pregame speech. You, were in, you know what I'm talking about? You know, uh, in 07, when Coach says you can change, you know, just – Today, it changes today. You know, you can change the way people perceive this football program in this university just by playing a ball game. And we went out there and that ball, you know, that 06, that big win, that big goal line stand against John Parker Wilson right before the half. Incredible, incredible. And we won in 07, Anthony Johnson's big interception return. You know, it just felt like Sylvester Croom and give Jackie Sherlson credit too. Jackie was the one, you know, former Alabama player. They weren't afraid of the Alabama mystique. I think Dan Mullen was terrified of it. I think Dan thought, you know what, hey, not only am I playing Nick Saban, I'm playing the ghost of Bear Bryant and Kenny Stabler and all these other people. You know, it's like I think Dan didn't manage those games well because I think Dan kind of coached out of fear against Alabama. He never he never beat them. I mean, the best chance we had, of course, was, uh, I guess, 14. And, you know, we had a couple of big drops in that ballgame. Dak didn't play well. Give Alabama some credit for some of that. But a couple of those interceptions were just I – think, I think the moment was a little bit too big for Dan Mullen. Because, you know, if we go win that ballgame in Tuscaloosa that year, we're going to Atlanta. Potentially going to the playoffs. We were a great team that year. And we cowered in the moment. And in 17, you know, we, I think that's the only time I've ever looked at Dan Mullen after a ballgame against Alabama and thought, you know what, he really played with no fear. We came out with uh, Nick Fitzgerald and Eris Williams and just punched them in the mouth over and over and over again. Then, of course, the officials step in, you know. But uh, late in that ball game, we started playing not to lose. It's like the, you know the Mullen Malays. We kind of reverted back to that. We should have won that ball game. Of course, everybody goes back to the, the big play. You know, we have a chance to close this thing out, and we go. Uh, Todd Grantham brings the house. We don't get home. Jalen Hurts throws a strike. Alabama wins the ball game. That's how it all went down. But a lot of that was our own ineptitude and our unwillingness to go for the throat. And, of course, the games with Joe were, you know, largely not competitive, you know. Defense played well in 18. But, um, you know, then again, you had the uh, better Thomas Phantom blocking the back that negated a, a Mississippi State touchdown. We have not been scoring against these guys. I'm curious to see if we can do it this week. You know, again, this is an Alabama defense, maybe not getting the credit they deserve, because all the emphasis has been on, on the offense and how inept they have been at times. Uh, but despite it all, Alabama is 3-1, 1-0 in the Southeastern Conference, uh, scoring just over 30 points a game, limiting opponents to 13.5. So if we win this game, it may, it may have to be in the teens. May, and the defense may have to score for Mississippi State or you get a special teams touchdown. We're, we're going to need a non-offensive touchdown and may need a non-offensive score set up you know, by a turnover or something like that. You know, we may not be able to sustain the drive there. Maybe you get a big, you know, pick return or whatever, and you can get a field goal out of it. But uh, we're probably going to have to win a game in the teens or low 20s. I just don't see us putting up a bunch of points on these guys, and I think you don't either. So defensively we're going to have to play perhaps our best game of the year against an offense that, you know, again, fairly challenged. Alabama with 39 first downs rushing this year, 29 passing. They've allowed some plays in the past game, despite the fact they always seem to have uh, NFL prospects in the secondary. Uh, they have allowed 35 first downs through the air, 78 total first downs, 67 allowed. They're rushing 161 and a half yards a game, giving up just over 100. Really need Worthy to have a big game. And it's going to be tough for us to block that front. We're going to have to be creative in the run game. We're going to have to do some things, and, and again, these slow developing plays not going to work against Alabama, as we saw against LSU. When you play an elite front with this offensive line, you can't get out there and dilly dally around and have all of this, you know, pre-play ball movement. You can't do it. You just can't. Alabama's rushed for eight touchdowns this year. They've allowed two. Uh, from as a passing standpoint, as a conglomerate of Alabama quarterbacks, they are 58 of 95 with three picks. And then opponents are 83 of 137 also for three picks. Average uh, you know, depth of target, 8.56. Alabama's going to throw it down a little bit, but uh, more teams are having to dink and dunk against them. Average depth of target for opponents has been 5.94. And if you look at what Texas did to Alabama, that's the outlier. So that brings the numbers up, right? But more times, more teams than not are having to throw the ball underneath. And Alabama so athletic that they, they get in cloud coverage and they run and come tackle you. But both—it's interesting how crazy this works. Uh, Alabama averaging two hundred and three point two five yards per game passing. Their opponents, two hundred and three point five zero. Six passing touchdowns they've allowed four. Pretty nuts. Eight hundred thirteen yards passing allowed. Eight hundred fourteen. It's kind of an anomaly, right? Total offense, and you'd expect Alabama to be dominating these numbers. They're not. Total offense, 1,459 yards gained and 1,230 yards allowed. And, of course, that's one of those at the South Florida game, which brings that number down. 14 touchdowns scored. They've allowed six. Allowed six touchdowns. This Alabama defense is legit. I know, again, I know they're maybe not getting the respect they deserve, but – you know, a lot of it's because of that Texas game. Like Texas comes out and punches them in the mouth, and Sarkeesian didn't play with any fear. And that, that's what Mississippi State's got to do. My kickoff average, this, this is a statistic excuse me, that we always talk about because of the fact we've got elite kick returners. Punting Alabama averaging in 48.2 yards per punt. The net average is 43. They've, uh, they've given us some returns here. Not a whole lot, but um, – excuse me, that's kicking. What am I doing? Yeah, that's a pun- – no, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, field goal attempts are 7 of 7. But uh, these kickoffs are going to be interesting, right? Number one, we don't want them to kick off a lot, which means they wouldn't be scoring. But we're going to need to play in the special teams. We're going to absolutely need to play uh, in the special teams. And so, you know, we're going to be able to get that. You know, we're going to be able to get the opportunity uh, to make some things happen here on, you know, on special teams. If you can force a punt, you know, they're doing such a good job getting your know, punts that are coverable. It may be tough for Xavier to get loose. However, uh, Will Reichard, the kicker, is kicked off 23 times with 16 touchbacks, he's kicked two out of bounds. And then of course uh, you know you've had a handful of returns, so it's possible, you know, that he didn't did not kick one into the end zone. But uh, I mean that that, feel, that that football is coming down near the goal line nearly every time. You know the kick is 65 yards. He's averaging 64.1. So probably some of these returns are balls that have carried into the end zone. They brought him out. So uh, you know but we're going to have to find a way to to make some things happen on special teams. I mean Eric Mealy's done a great job. Special teams has played great so far. You know. For, Last couple of years, that's been a moving target for us. But uh, this group's done a good job. We've covered well. We've gotten some decent returns. And in games like this, you, you know, special teams should matter. You know, it should because I do think this is going to be a very, very competitive ball game. Uh, defensively, I guess before we get to that, let's again look at some uh, offensive numbers here. You know, a lot of times you already have that Alabama running back that appears to be the guy. Of course, Jason McClellan with the big 100-yard game last week now leads the team at 263 yards net. Roy Dale Williams, 198, you know, and then uh, Jalen Milrow. So, it's kind of a two-pronged attack with Milrow doing some, some quarterback running himself. There's not a lot of design quarterback runs, but there were some against Ole Miss last week. And Mil- Milrow, of course, uh, did miss a game. But this is not – you know, your grandfather's Alabama team that just lines up and powers over people. You, you kind of get the impression they'd like to be that. They haven't been able to establish that yet. Uh, there have been, you know, it seems like everybody other than the walk-ons have played at quarterback. Of course, Jalen Milroe he is 44 of 66 in three games with three picks and uh, six touchdowns. Completion percentage is right at 67%. Many of those are kind of controlled throws, but... Um, You know, they will air it out a little bit. Ty Simpson, a guy that, uh, you know, very, very highly coveted recruit, a guy that's got some ties to Mississippi State. uh, Mississippi State, one of the first schools to offer him, and then when his recruitment blew up, we were no longer an option. But uh, 6 of 10 for 78 yards, and 45 of that comes on one play. And Tyler Buckner has played in two games, 8 of 19. 42.11 completion percentage and just 61 yards. So, you look at this Alabama team and you begin to ask yourself, offensively, where do they hang their hat? Well, I think they'd like to do it in the power running game and then kind of keep you honest. They just haven't been able to establish it yet. And they get in that shootout with Texas and they're just not equipped to compete in that type of ball game. Now, leading receiver for the Tide is uh, number three, Jermaine Burton. Uh, Eight catches, 189 yards, averaging 23 .63 .63 yards per catch, and uh, leading the Tide with a 47.25 average uh, passing per game. It's just a different deal. It's a different deal in this offense. Isaiah Bond leads the team with 11 receptions. And then uh, Amari uh five catches for, for 97. So they, they've used a lot of people, but they haven't had anybody just kind of step up and be the guy. You know, there's no Amari Cooper on this team. Burton is probably the guy. Right? That's probably the guy you gotta identify. You know, as we saw with Leggett last weekend, you know, we are not as strong at corner as we have been, and we hope to be. But we're not there. So you gotta know they're gonna try to scheme some things up. You know, DeCarlos Nicholson got picked on a little bit last week. And so I suspect they'll try to get Jermaine Burton into some of those situations. I mean, D having a decent year, probably not having the year that many had hoped so far. Uh, And he's going to get some big matchups. And this is a guy that's put some good things on tape. But if he wants to go pro this year, these are the kinds of games that he's got to show up. These are the kind of players he's got to be able to show up against. And, again, this is not an Alabama offense that has been able to really establish any sense of dominance. And so it's still Alabama. And that that always looks good because everybody understands the caliber of athletes that the Alabama Crimson Tide coaching staff uh, routinely recruit. So you want to get paid? This is where you got to put your work in. Uh, so, I'm expecting this to be a, a very competitive ball game, and I don't think it will be a high-scoring game. It's because, uh, you know, Alabama hasn't shown the ability to do that, but also I know that they know how to manage a game, too. If they get a lead in that second half and get two scores on, you're just going to salt the game away. They'll get behind that big offensive line and just, uh, you know, make you make the mistake. But we'll see. But, uh, again, Alabama not living up to expectations at this point. Not their expectations or even our expectations. And, again, people always forecast the end of the Saban dynasty. And, you know, he's talked extensively about the NIL stuff and how, you know, he, he asked many times, is this what we really want in college football? And people were like, you know, coach, you're you're antiquated and you're thinking and all that sort of stuff. you got to change some things. And so they're, they're trying to adjust. But um, – I think you know what we're seeing too is that maybe Nick Saban's reluctance to really embrace NIL here, especially on uh, in the portal, is maybe negatively impacting their team. I think maybe some of that is caught up a little bit because many of their contemporaries, the ones that are willing to go write the big check, are writing the big check, and I think Nick Saban's a guy that yeah you know, I, I can tell you for a fact, there was a recruit in the state of Mississippi a few years ago that uh, was being courted by Alabama and another school within this state, not named Mississippi State, and Nick Saban was quoted to say, and you know what, you can take their $10,000 now or you can come to Alabama and put in three or four years and maybe sign a contract worth $10 million. So he's not naive to the game. But the reality of it is is that everybody's changing. And I think, I think in many respects, maybe this NIL thing has caught up with Alabama a little bit. It's true of course you can dig into it too i mean you you look how well they've recruited quarterbacks according to the recruiting rankings and you think well they shouldn't be in this situation well they are they are maybe some changes because of the fact of all these uh you know the the revolving door of coaches at times on offense may have kind of caught up with them too but it does appear they're kind of the end of a talent cycle and on top of that uh, you're installing a new system so there's a lot of factors involved here but again you know, Alabama may come out here and put up 50 Saturday. I'm not expecting that. But I know that they have the athletes that are capable of doing that. And at some point, things are going to kind of click between that staff and that quarterback, and they're going to get some things going. You just hope it's a week or two from now. But we're going to have to bring our great, a good effort. just because Alabama's got a brand of athlete that we rarely see. And, and we play in a Southeastern Conference. But, you know, ideally, because of the way that Alabama develops players, the way that they – Uh, their strength and conditioning program, they're at a different level. And that's why it's such a big deal for anybody to beat Alabama. For LSU to beat Alabama last year and the way they acted, you know, goes to show you truly the respect they have for Alabama as a program. But when we come out of that tunnel tomorrow, we can't have any respect for Alabama. We can respect them in post game. We can expect them in our media opportunities throughout the week. When we get them on that field, you got to play the man in front of you and not the, the, the men that have worn that uniform before. We got to come out and play with a reckless abandon and come out there and punch them in the mouth. I've said it all year. You can't beat a bully with a counterpunch. You got to punch first. All right, time for today's top 10 list. As always, brought to you by clotheswithblair.com. That's C L O S E with Blair, B L A I R.com. Blair is a mortgage professional, Blair is a guy that gets things done. The mortgage process can be a very difficult undertaking. You need somebody with experience. You need somebody with know-how. You need somebody willing to fight for you and be your advocate with underwriting. Well, that's Blair Chandler. Give Blair a call or text today at 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. Now, Blair Chandler, 22 years of experience in the mortgage lending industry. Back-to-back-to-back years in the top 1% when it comes to close ratio. You're dealing with a guy that gets things done. He's also a guy that understands all the the nuance of the new lending packages that they're they're putting out there for underwriting. As you know, recently it's been made legal for an 18-year-old to sign a mortgage document, provided they have a suitable cosigner. Blair can walk you through that if that's something you're interested in. So the best thing to do is deal with somebody that knows how to get things done. One of the best parts of being a mature adult is recognizing that you don't know everything. But when it comes to the mortgage business, Blair does. So entrust your mortgage to Blair Chandler at CloseWithBlair.com. All right, Nick Saban recently quoted that the Rolling Stones are his favorite musical act. So we're going to do a Rolling Stones list today. Couple things I'd like to point out before we get into this. The, um, you know, I, I'm always looking for new bands that excite me. I'm not just some relic that rides around listening to uh, to Rat all day every day, even though I do love Rat. Uh, new band Sleep Theory out of Memphis recently signed to Epitaph Records. Their full EP, all six songs, now available on all streaming platforms, Apple Music, Spotify, the like. Uh, be sure and check those guys out. Very. Um, Modern sound, Colin the vocalist, incredible. And uh, their first two singles went to number one on Sirius X- XM Octane's Biggins Countdown. So uh, be sure and check them out. I liked all the songs on the EP. I've been, It's been a while since I've had a band that really excited me the way these guys do. They're not in any way connected to Rolling Stones. Just wanted to keep you abreast of what's happening out there uh, in the world of, uh, of modern music. So the Rolling Stones, of course, uh, 200 million records sold worldwide, plus uh, incredible that they have still around doing this thing forever. It's amazing. That, I mean, they were old in the 80s. I'm just saying it for what it is. But uh, we're going to break down the top 10 uh, songs from the 80s from the Rolling Stones. Now, of course, the decade began when Rolling Stones were really in many respects at their peak. Uh, based on the strength of the great album Some Girls, which is their best-selling album of all time. Maybe you're familiar with that, but the um, latest numbers for Some Girls released in 1978. 6,315,000 copies sold. Yeah, I'm sure somebody else bought it today. Uh, that's the, uh, the best-selling studio album, of course. The best-selling album, just slightly ahead there, Uh, is Hot Rocks, which is a compilation album, some of their biggest hits uh, from 65 or 71. So that's the best-selling album. But as far as like a single solitary album, it's not a compilation or live album. Some Girls, uh, the the highest-selling album of the Rolling Stones catalog. And so they entered the 1980s with some juice. Uh, Keith Richards, of course, having some uh, personal problems, had some legal troubles throughout the decade. Uh, The Stones released five albums, Five albums. And some of these albums were among their least favorite or least sold albums. And then some others uh, showed that uh, the Stones were here to stay. So here we go. Five studio albums. uh, Emotional Rescue, Tattoo You, Undercover, Dirty Work, and uh, Steel Wheels. And of course, uh, the decade ends with Steel Wheels and the Rolling Stones really kind of back on top of their game. But uh, number 10... From the Tattoo You album, many people believe it's one of the best Rolling Stone albums. Uh, sold 4.9 million copies. Yeah, it's, it's good work if you can get it. But uh, from that album, it's the great track Hang Fire, which is more of a bit of a rocker, banger type thing. Number nine from the Steel Wills album, it's uh, Almost Hear You Sigh, which is more of a ballad. You know, it's, you know, it's a relationship type song. Number eight from Undercover, and uh, our our sole contribution to the top ten list is She Was Hot from Undercover. Now, that album went platinum, but by Rolling Stone standards, it did not do nearly as well. And uh, critically, many people consider it the worst of the Rolling Stone albums. And I think if you listen to it, you'll see there's a lot of filler in that album. There's not a lot of uh, hooks that kind of draw you in. Number seven, our first uh, song from the album, I guess our only contribution from Dirty Work, and this is an album that was primarily put together by Keith Richards and Ron Wood because uh, Mick Jagger at that point had signed the deal with CBS to do his first solo record, Uh, She's the Boss, which was a huge hit. But as a result, he was somewhat distracted about the Stones, and there were some times he expressed some displeasure of having to focus on the Rolling Stones, and he just did his uh, his solo stuff. But... um, it's a one hit to the body off Dirty Work. That, that's your contribution from that album. One hit to the body, number seven, number six, from Steel Wills, Probably the song from this album that uh, many people look at and say was the biggest hit. I know it had a lot of commercial success and it it was on the top 40 charts for a long time. But it's a uh, mixed emotions. Number six. That's the song too. There was uh, there was a group out there. You know, nowadays with AI, you can do whatever you want, but um, they had Elvis Presley singing that song. Like they had an Elvis impersonator that said it sounded like an Elvis Presley song. And there's probably some truth to that. So Mixed Emotions, number six. Number five, the last song from the Steel Wolves album and uh, another huge hit for them. It's Rockin' a Hard Place, number five. Rockin' a Hard Place, number five. Number four, from the Emotional Rescue album, of course, which was the uh, the first album of the 80s for the Stones. It's a great track, She's So Cold. I'm so hot for her, but she's so cold. Many of you have lived that. We all have lived that. From Tattoo You, a very, uh, I don't know, kind of nostalgic song. I mean, kind of subdued, but it's, the song has got a great vibe. It's Waiting on a Friend. Number three, Waiting on a Friend. Number two, the title track for Emotional Rescue, which was a huge hit. And this is about around the time that the Stones kind of went disco a little bit. Music was changing, and this... This album is when you really began to sense the rift between Keith Richards and Mick Jagger because Mick wanted to kind of embrace what was happening in music and Keith wanted to be true to the classic Rolling Stone sound. So, in some respects, the album was a little bit disjointed, even though it sold 2.4 million copies. This is when things began to kind of like teeter a little bit. You come off Some Girls and Emotional Rescue, it's like, okay, we had some success, then Tattoo You, okay, we're back, undercover, we really take a dip, slowly build our way back up with Dirty Work, which, uh, again, just kind of one of those albums you look at and say things were not good in the House of Stones, Uh, but Emotional Rescue, a great track. But number one, off Tattoo You, probably a song that uh, is synonymous with sports, it's a great track, Start Me Up. It seems like it's an anthemic song, and it's played at sporting events all over the country and really all over the world. But uh, again, an interesting decade for the Stones because you have kind of this, you know, again, all this juice pushing into the decade, but things were kind of fragmented within the band. And I think the work kind of reflected that. And then after Mick had gone out for a few years and done a couple of solo tours, uh, they come back, and reunite, and I remember on MTV watching it. You know, back when MTV played music, the Rolling Stones had a press conference to announce the release of Steel Wheels, and there's Mick with a uh, with a boombox playing to a microphone because the uh, technology was so antiquated at the time. We couldn't pull that off. I guess we didn't have RCA jacks available that day. Uh, but again, 3.3 million copies sold of Steel Wheels. So again, the decade starts with Juice. And then we begin to kind of move along and then really have the big dip. And so it was a tumultuous decade in the, uh, in the career of the Rolling Stones. And so, uh, Nick, I'm not sure you'll hear our list, but I hope you approve. Uh, many of the Stones' hits, of course, came from the 70s. Some of their more classic hits, uh, the ones that are considered classic rock songs, you know, came in the 70s. And as music began to change toward the end of the 1970s and the early 1980s, uh, and, of course, you had the rise of bands like Aerosmith. And so Aerosmith, in many respects, was kind of true to the old British sound uh, because of the way that band was structured. And, of course, uh, a lot of people thought Aerosmith was basically kind of a Rolling Stones uh, ripoff. And so they were doing it such a good job with it. Uh, they kind of deplaced the Stones for a bit. And then, of course, in the 80s, uh, Mick kind of recommitted himself uh, to the band things changed and they kind of recaptured their fan base and uh, our Dave Murray went and saw him play uh, last year in uh, Jacksonville and as he said uh, not bad for a bunch of old farts right uh, but you may not know this the Rolling Stones have a new album called Hackney Diamonds that is due out October 20th so uh, a couple singles have already been released one of those uh, a duet with the uh, Lady Gaga, Sweet Sounds of Heaven. So, two tracks from that album have been released. And so, if you're a Rolling Stones fan, there is a good chance this may be the last real hurrah. And I say that with as much respect as possible because of the fact these guys aren't going to live forever. Of course, as Dennis Leary said, uh, you know, years ago on the uh, great comedy album No Cure for Cancer, couldn't record that today because people are so sensitive. But uh, he made the comment back then, you know, about uh, rock against drugs, you know, how that was uh, kind of hypocritical. And it's like Keith Richards telling everybody, you know, don't do drugs. Like, Keith, we can't. And we got to wait for you to die and then smoke your ashes, you know. Uh, but these guys have lived a long time and, uh, and had an, an amazing career. So, on behalf of Coach Nick Saban, that's our top 10 list for today Rolling Stones from the 1980s. And again, five albums released. Uh, with varying levels of success, but uh, be sure and check it out. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out and let us know. Uh, we'll put you on our list, and we'll get to you eventually. Best way to do that is to hit up Roy at, uh, on Twitter at dogmatic67, d a w g m a t i c67. If you are a Spotify subscriber, follow him on Spotify, and our great list will just kind of auto-populate there to your device. If you, but again, let us know. We're always happy to do it. We love to talk about music here on the show. Kind of makes us a little bit different, you know. It's uh, we're, we're we're college sports, we're music, uh, some life lessons from time to time. You know, try to have some moments of inspiration. But uh, I, I'll be honest with you. I was not a big Stones fan growing up. I wasn't. I didn't really learn to appreciate the Stones until much later in life. And uh, you know, at some point, you got to look up and say, you know what, a band that has this level of longevity. And this measure of success, maybe I was wrong about them, maybe. And there were parts of me in the 80s, you know, I was like, man, why are we still dragging these guys out here on MTV? You know, it's like their time has passed, but uh, it truly hadn't. I think the, the Stones, obviously, a very timeless band, one of the most successful recording artists in the history of the planet Earth. You know, so you got to think, begin to reconsider, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, most of my favorites are from the late 70s. I know many of you may disagree, but. Uh, you never know. We may circle back to the Stones at some point. But, uh, again, new album, due out next month for the Rolling Stones. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. Be sure and check them out next time you're in town. Uh, neatly positioned on the backside of campus. You, you come in on 182, you take that turn there at the, uh, the Trooper Station. And then you ride on up towards campus and to the left, just before you turn on the campus to head to one of Mississippi State's historic sporting venues, there's campus Bookmart. Go in there and see their smiling faces and peruse their fine selections. A lot of people make the claim they have the most Mississippi State merchandise. Well, they're all pretenders to the throne because Miss Kathy Brown ensures that campus Bookmart, right here in Starkville, Mississippi, has the greatest selection of Mississippi State merch. If you can't make it to town to see their smiling faces, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Roberts, and that gets you free shipping on all orders over $75. Any order less than $75, absolutely incomplete. Christmas is coming up. Yeah, be sure and think ahead and, uh, and be able to work with uh, our folks at uh, Campus Bookmart uh, to outfit your family for the holidays. The one thing that every Bulldog wants, under the tree, whether it be from Santa or from you or from somebody else, is some fresh Mississippi State gear. Whether it be a golf shirt or t-shirt, uh, whatever, you know, a nice little piece of memorabilia, something that you can put around your office and your home, whatever you'd like, Campus Bookmart has it for you. Uh, longtime sponsors of the show, and uh, certainly appreciate their contributions to us. All right, let's take a look around the Southeastern Conference. Touched on this a little bit Wednesday with the lines, but uh, we'll give you a little more analysis here. And... Um, Eager to see, man, this weekend we always talk about like separation Saturday. This is one of those Saturdays where some people are going to find themselves kind of behind the curve and some people are going to take a step forward. Should be a very interesting weekend. Of course, if your Bulldogs manage to get a win here, it kind of ends the month with maybe an unexpected W. But also, many, where most people expected us to be at 3-2. and two. We were hoping to beat South Carolina and likely losing in Alabama. Uh, and so if you get through September 3-2, and two, and you've got mainly your contemporaries, people that are kind of similarly situated, you feel like you can have a really good year. Uh, I haven't given up on that. But we need to see some fight from this team. And I thought we saw some last week. I, I really did. But uh, didn't get the result we wanted. But defensively, there were times that uh, things broke down for us. But As I mentioned on Monday's show, as we recap it, the defensive performance in the second half didn't look so bad in hindsight. You had the one big play to open the third quarter. And then from there, you have uh, only one sustained drive that ended in a field goal. And then you have, of course, the the incomplete pass called a fumble that was a gift to South Carolina that allowed them to push the lead back up to two scores. Uh, So you get the short field there. But defensively, we didn't play as bad as I thought – in lifetime but we haven't played well enough i'm not going to sit here and say we played good we didn't play good we didn't play well we just didn't play as poorly as i thought but um, when we needed to get a stop late in the ball game we couldn't get one all right looking at this week florida at kentucky that's going to be one of two 11 a.m games that'll be your espn game i'm not sure what to make of either team and that's why i think this weekend will kind of give us some clarity. I'm not, I'm not sold on, on Kentucky just because uh, they're Kentucky, and I get so tired of being force-fed that Kentucky's supposed to be great. They win this ball game. They set themselves up pretty well. Uh, Florida, on the other hand, too, it's like just when we think, okay, they lose to Utah, and you think, okay, well, that's not totally unexpected. This is a team that many people expected to be a 5-7, and 6-6 six and six quality team, and that's very much in the realm of possibilities. But uh, they were so anemic on offense against Utah – you think, okay, can't, you know, can't jump on board yet, but I'm not ready to, you know, throw the baby out with the, uh, the bathwater. The next week, of course, they play McNeese State, beat those guys 49-7. You expect that. You're in the swamp, you got to be able to out-athlete them. And then they host Tennessee and really kind of did what they wanted to against Tennessee. And if you're a Tennessee fan, this is one of those games you looked at on your schedule. You're like, okay, we got to play Georgia and Alabama We'll win the rest of them. And now all of a sudden you start thinking, well, you know, the chances of us going to the Florida Citrus Bowl rather than the New Year's Six Bowl uh, is very much a rising possibility. Not to mention they could lose in the ball game. And then Florida wins that game and you're like, okay, all right, this is a game I didn't expect. I love chaos in college football when it doesn't involve us. And they beat Charlotte last week 22-7. What, what, what are you doing? I don't understand that. I don't understand how – yeah, yeah, you won, but why was that game as, com- as competitive as it was? And so which Florida team is going to show up, you know, offensively, other than that McNeese State game where they could just out-athlete people? They've struggled offensively, even in the game against Tennessee. They weren't great offensively. And so when you see this measure of success – and in some respects, this limited measure of success, you begin to think maybe this is schematic rather than personnel. You know, Kentucky is a decent recruiter, not an elite recruiter. You know, so Florida's going to have to go in there and play well. But, uh, you know, I like Florida to win the game. And uh, maybe it's because I, I, I've got an you know, axe to ground with Kentucky. But, uh, you know, Kentucky has played absolutely nobody to date they're 4-0 with uh, wins over Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, Akron, and then Vanderbilt. And then the Vanderbilt game turned to be a little bit of a wild one. They went at 45-28. But uh, this Kentucky offense has really had some issues. But all of a sudden you look at the numbers here, and uh, the fewest points scored has been 28. I think the difference in this ball game is going to be quarterback play. Whichever quarterback plays the best, that their team's going to win. So we're going to go with Florida. All right. Texas A&M and Arkansas. That's your SEC Network game. This is uh, obviously played in Jerry World. This has been a very interesting series as of late. And uh, I like the fact that they play this game on a neutral field. Um, maybe maybe the, the the combatants don't. But I think it kind of gives it more of a rivalry feel to it. They get huge crowds in there. I know the tickets are expensive. Uh, you know, adult beverages are expensive. But... Um, I, I like the fact that they do this. I think it, it, it shows a big game early on here. But um, Texas A&M has dominated this series all the way back to 2012. You know, so since A&M joined the league, it's been all Aggies. Now, the the, the, the games in 10 and 11, of course, they were played in Arlington. I guess there were three. nine From 2009, 10 and 11, uh, they played – Arkansas wins all three of those. But then in 12, things begin to change. And uh, these games, other than the um, game in 2021, have gone the way of the Aggies. Last year, it was 23-21. Remember the game, how crazy that was? Like, KJ Jefferson's about to go in and score, and they fumble, and then the kid from A&M runs it back, and A&M wins by two. And and A&M needed that win in the worst way, and it really kind of set Arkansas back a little bit. A lot of people were thinking Arkansas was going to challenge for the West. And they lost a game that people were expecting them to win. But um, again, it has not been a good series for Arkansas as of late. Again, just one win dating back in 2012. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, yeah, eleven. Of the last twelve have gone the way of the Aggies. I expect this one to go the way of the Aggies too. Wrong. I'm kidding. I think Arkansas gets this one. I, I do, and a lot of us because Connor Wegman is out. And so yes, you have Max Johnson. You do and was considered to be the second coming when he came out of high school and then uh, goes to LSU, ultimately transfers, and then doesn't win the job against Connor Wegman. And so, you know, how will Petrino dial some things up for him? I I think Arkansas, with KJ and with that running game, I think they'll find a way to get it. If they don't, they're in in big trouble. They are. And this A&M team obviously is um, a little bit fragile. And you got to think emotionally, you know, what's that team going to look like? Uh, I expect a competitive ball game, but I think Arkansas uh, takes it this week. Georgia is at Auburn, and uh, Auburn just doesn't have the horses to run with Georgia. Nobody does. That's not necessarily a criticism of the Tigers, but, uh, you know, they are a little bit talent deficient compared to Auburn standards, which is one of the reasons they were so aggressive in the portal. They're trying to win immediately. This is your 230 CBS game uh george more than a two touchdown favorite in the game and I, I think georgia handles this i suspect it'll be a game for maybe a quarter quarter and a half and then georgia will exert itself um and you know what's you know what's going to happen with auburn's quarterback play you know there's just you know that how what do you do you know do you, do you keep lining up and trying to do some design quarterback runs against this georgia front that um you know has proven to be pretty solid you know offensively georgia maybe hadn't been what we expect him to be but uh when, when it's closing time, Georgia knows how to finish a ball game. And, again, I think Auburn will make it exciting for a little bit, and it, maybe you even get into this, into a halftime, you know, where it's a close ball game. But uh, I think Georgia wins it. I think Georgia covers. Missouri at Vanderbilt. This could prove to be one of the better games of the day, if you're interested in such. Uh, that's the 3 p.m. game on the SEC network. So the, the league itself understands there's not going to be a lot of viewership for this game other than Missouri and Vanderbilt fans and again, Missouri off to a great start. And uh, that schedule is going to get more brutal. But this is a big one here. This is a big one. When the schedule opened up, you know, the, the Missouri fans think this could be the, uh, you know, the turning point in the season. All right, so Missouri's 4-0. And, of course, the win over Kansas State, that was one that I didn't expect. I, I, I thought they would get the other three. I didn't think they'd get Kansas State. And what a big game that was. Huge free drink wits. And, again, They have not looked especially impressive on offense. They just haven't. Now, they'll play an SEC defense this week. And, uh, you know, we'll see how things go for the first time. And, you know, I just don't think Clark Lee and him have the talent. Even though this game is in Nashville, I'd love for it to be a great game. I just don't think it will be. I think there's also a chance that after Missouri wins this one, they may not win another one. It's true. Because they played all four of their non-conference games the first four weeks of the season. Now you're about to go through this eight-game SEC schedule and, uh, you know, you get the one bye week before you play Georgia, right? I mean, so it's like, hey, thanks. You know, I just don't think Missouri is good enough to go into Athens and win this ballgame. But I think there is a good chance that um, Missouri, despite a 4-0 start, will end up with a losing season. I think that, is, that, that possibility is very, very, very real. That's why this one's so important. they got to win this one. I suspect they will. Next week, LSU makes a trip to Missouri, and then Missouri goes to Kentucky. So that's one I'm sure that Missouri's thinking, hey, we, we may be able to get that one. But uh, an interesting scenario here. Hey, can Mizzou f- find a way to win enough to get to bowl game? They can. But I think the East is better than it has been, and uh, maybe they're a part of that. But uh, – this week, I got Missouri winning a ball game on the road at Vanderbilt. And that's not a hot take. I think that's probably what we all pick. But I think it's interesting when you look at the dynamic of the schedule, kind of how things sit for the Tigers, and what makes this week all the more important. If you if you get this one, you're 5-0, and ranked in the top 20, even though you hadn't played anybody. And then you just got to find a way to pick off one to get ball eligible for the second straight year. LSU is at Ole Miss. I, again, a, a lot of people are fired up about this game. I, I, I don't think it's going to be the game that people expect. Now, will Ole Miss come out and uh, try to do the little blitzkrieg thing on first the first drive and go down and get a score? You better believe they will. And they've had a lot of success doing that. I just think that defensively, they've, they've kind of met their match in many respects. That front of LSU is legit. They will get after you. They will stop the run. They will get in your face. Of course, now that you've got some people healthy. Uh, but, you know, you look at this, you know, Ole Miss won back in 2021, 31 to 17 uh, But that, that's really one of the, the only ones they've had, you know, in recent years. I mean, you know, they, they get them in 15. Really, really, you know, impressive win for uh, Ole Miss and those guys then. But, you know, dating back now pretty much a decade, LSU has kind of had their way with Ole Miss. There have, uh, you know, back in 2020 – you know, they had the uh, crazy game, the 53-48 game, when Ole Miss points late. But uh, they have had a lot of trouble stopping this LSU offense in recent years. Uh, you go back starting in 2016, it's a 38-21 game. In 17, it's 40-24. 18, it's 45-16. 19, it's 58-37. 20, it's 53-48. And then again in 21, Ole Miss gets it up, 31-17. Last year, 45-20. LSU. And so you can say, you know what, A.C., a lot's changed since then. You know, but the the, the the one thing you look at here outside of the outlier in 21 is in the last several years, this LSU offense has done what they've wanted to do against Ole Miss, no matter who the coach has been. And I remember last year, that was the big game. You know, Everybody's like, hey, Ole Miss is going to go into Tiger Stadium. They're going to beat LSU. And Jaden Daniels had one of his best games as a Tiger. I, I suspect it's going to be a similar type game th- this week. I really do. I I know that uh, LSU is a slight favorite in the game. Uh, In the eyes of some people, I I think LSU wins this game by a couple scores. And I I think once you get into the second half, I think that LSU's uh, physical uh, strength and conditioning program will kind of take over for sure. So that's how I see it. of course, is Ole Miss capable of winning the game? They are. I just worry a little bit if if I'm an Ole Miss guy just about the health of Quinshaw and Judkins because you're going to have to run the football against LSU to have any measure of success. And uh, I just don't know if we are going to be able to do that. We'll see. I just don't see it. So, I like LSU to win. I like LSU to cover. And I don't think it's a blowout, but I don't think it's a game where LSU is really stressed much in the second half. Uh, South Carolina is at Tennessee. This could be a big ball game here. I expect Tennessee to be a better team than they have been. And I think a lot of it, again, you know, as I talked to our friend Bill Martin, who was um, – Media Relations Director of Mississippi State for a long time. under Dan Mullen left and, uh, you know, took a job at Tennessee. And uh think a lot of Bill and his family. And uh, as Bill says, you know, it's, it's different when you don't have five. You know, Hendon Hooker, obviously an iconic player in recent years and a guy that Josh Heupel needed. And, and uh, you know, Joe Milton's the guy now. And it has not been maybe the tidy change of the guard that many people forecasted it to be. But this is a Tennessee team that can explode in spurts. Of course, they beat Virginia, a bad Virginia team, 49-13 in week one. And then they struggled a little bit offensively against Austin P. And that's when you look at it and say, that they just not take these guys seriously? And then the next week they lose to Florida. Yeah. So it, it wasn't just an outlier. It shows that there's some real issues. And then, of course, Tennessee gets Texas-San Antonio last week, and they beat them, you know, by 31. They're at home this week against South Carolina. This is a South Carolina team that is largely one-dimensional. Can uh, this Tennessee front matchup with Spencer Rattler and kind of keep him in the pocket? You know, he, he got us on some runs too, but by and large, Rattler beat us with some big plays. Uh, so Tennessee's going to have to match up on the outside. You know, what will they do with Leggett? If they can take Leggett away and make somebody else beat him, you know? But again, I kind of lament the loss. It's a game we should have won. Uh, but give South Carolina credit, they made the plays to win. I think this is going to be the SEC game of the week. It is the six thirty game on the SEC network. Uh, but I, I think Tennessee wins the ball game, but I think it's one of these games that's really, really close and may come down to the fourth quarter, potentially even the last drive. Uh, but, uh, you know, Shane Beamer's got the guys playing well. You know, and uh, I think, you know some of that may have to do with our in- aptitude in the secondary. Perhaps. But, you know, you look at this Tennessee offense, say, so you know what, they haven't been what many people expect them to be. Somebody this week is going to get a big win, and somebody's going to realize, you know what, this season's not going to go the way we expected. I like Tennessee to win a very close one. Finally, Alabama at Mississippi State. Will I be surprised if State wins a game? Yeah, I would be. Now, I can sit here and talk myself into thinking, you know what, as bad as Alabama's been on offense, State just needs a play. I just worry about our offense against their defense. I could see us losing a ball game 21 to 10 or something like that. Uh, I I think we're going to have trouble scoring against them. Uh, I think we're going to, as I said earlier in the show, we're going to need a non-offensive touchdown to probably be in this ball game, whether it's a pick six or a kick return or a punt block or something. We're going to need something to give us a short field and potentially a score, if not both right? It'd be great if you get a couple of those big plays, give you a short field. I think we're going to need it. Now, the good thing is, I think we've got, a, we've got an elite kicker, and so if it gets into a battle of field goals, I like our chances. It's just, can we do that enough? We've got to be able to finish some drives, and, and I just think we're going to struggle against this Alabama front. I don't know that we can block them. Uh, you know, Will is a guy, too, at times that uh, as soon as there's pressure coming off the edges, he'll, he'll just take the sack, you know, there's some times that happens. I don't think Will is holding the ball as long as he used to. That's one thing I will notice. But I think we're asking an awful lot this week. I'd love to win this game. Uh, we hadn't won in forever, you know. And, um, and it's one of those things, too. It's like these weeks, you really enjoy them. You just kind of endure them. Can State win the ball game? Yeah, we can. I think it's we're going to need some help from Alabama to do it, though. I really do. I don't think this is going to be a shootout-type ball game by any stretch. I think it's probably a game that the winner probably scores in the low 20s and maybe a situation where the first team of 20 wins a game. I just don't know if we can get to 20. You know, I, I really don't. And uh, there's a reason we play the games, and you never know when something magical and mysterious is going to happen. Uh, so I don't want to come across as a Debbie Downer. I'm just going to shoot it to you straight. I, I think the state defense is going to be able to make plays against the Alabama offense. They'll give up some too, right? There'll be some individual matchups where we don't pair up good on the outside and we get beat. And that's what we have to do really defensively, is we can't give up the big play. We've got to methodically make them march the ball down the field and hope they make a mistake. And I think they will. I think because quarterback play has been so sketchy, if you can eliminate the big play, I think Alabama's gonna have a tough time scoring. Now, they'd love to line up and run it down your throat, but, again, they just have not been able to, to establish that level of identity and the physicality up front that they normally have. But if something big happens early for state, and you get a lead and you get the crowd in the ball game, anything could happen. That's what I'm hoping for, but it's not what I'm expecting. So I got Alabama winning the game. I think they're going to cover two. Um, I don't know what the latest line is, but I think Alabama wins this ball game uh, you know, by two scores. But, um, and again, that would make us two and three at the end of September. And a lot of people, again, even though that most people, most realistic people said, you know what, I think best case scenario for us is three and two. And I shared all, all fall and all summer that I felt the South Carolina game was a swing game for us between a good season and potentially a really good season, potentially a great season. And we've dropped that game. And so now here we are taking on an opponent that we've all expected to lose to. You find a way to win. It could be a signature win for Zach Arnett. Of course, get some buy-in. And, and the, the Bulldog schedule obviously gets a little easier from here. I mean, obviously, we play in a Southeastern Conference. So, there are no, there are no easy weeks in this league. But uh, you get through this one, and next week you get Western Michigan. Then you travel to Arkansas and then Auburn. Uh, and then Kentucky comes to Mississippi State. You know, I think at this point you look at it, Arkansas, Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State are all pretty much kind of the same team. Uh, Just kind of dependent on which week you take a look at them, you know. And so, uh, we need to get some things together. And so, that's the thing. It's so crazy. If you can pull the upset this week and you beat uh, Western Michigan and you fully expect to do that, you know, you're absolutely on schedule except the fact that you've got a win over Alabama to your credits you weren't anticipating. And that's heading into, uh, you know, the last part of October against a couple teams that uh, we've had some success against. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see how things uh, go and kind of progress here. But, um, you know, we've got to find a way to go out there and make some plays tomorrow because Alabama is going to bring more talent. They're going to bring more coaching experience. And you you look at it in many respects. I mean, yes, it's going to be a great crowd. There are also going to be a lot of Alabama people there. Uh, It's going to be a great atmosphere. It's going to be a night game. We've got all day to kind of get everybody fired up and ready to go with those cowbells. But in every other aspect, the advantage is for Alabama. You look at quarterback play and say, you know what, hey, we have the more experienced quarterback. You know, he may not be the athlete that Joe Milrow is, but if it gets down to that, if it gets down to decision-making, if we can protect, certainly favors Mississippi State. But there's just not a lot of intangibles you look at here and say, hey, well, State has a real strength here. I think the benefit is the fact that this game is at home and you've got an experienced team that's tired of getting beat on by Alabama, but we have not had any level of offensive success – uh, against them you may recall last year you know we scored on last offensive you know snap of the game to snap a, a streak of futility against them which lasted years we have not been able to put the ball in the end zone with any regularity against alabama so why would i expect that to change this year especially with an offensive system that uh, has had a lot of ups and a lot of downs but has not had much in a way of consistency and so again i think we have to have some non-offensive production uh, to make this a close ball game. I don't think it'll be a blowout, but I don't think it's a game that uh, Alabama will be stressed in the second half. So. so again, running down your winners for the week. Running them down one more time. Florida on the road. Arkansas from Jerry World. Georgia on the road. Missouri on the road. LSU on the on the road, Tennessee at home, and Alabama on the road. So it should be a good week uh, for the road teams in the Southeastern Conference. Would love to be wrong, but uh, that's kind of how we expect it to go. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at International Auction LLC. You can visit them at, international, at internationalauctionllc.com or call them at 888 861 0999. Why is that significant? Well, they're giving you the opportunity to purchase at auction some incredible property right here in Starkville. You could be just five minutes away from Duty Noble Field, Davis Wade Stadium, and Humphrey Coliseum. You could tailgate at home. They've got an incredible property out there. I've gone and viewed the property, 156 acres Uh, split into five tracks now if you're looking for hey maybe it's an investment property for you and you want to build some apartments or some multi-family residences there you can you certainly can there's some uh you know some property that kind of edges up there against 182 uh, and maybe that's what you want to do or perhaps you want it to be your home maybe it's your second home maybe it's your future retirement home guys they have got every type of property to fill your needs Very, very incredible property. Again, 5,000 linear feet of water furniture. You always want to live on some water. Maybe do some fishing. You can. 3,000 linear feet of property on Sand Creek. Pretty amazing. Now, this auction is going to take place on uh, Thursday, October the 12th. Thursday, October the 12th. But you need to do your due diligence before that. There are some steps you need to take. I would encourage you to go by and uh, and see the property yourself. You're gonna have three more showings, three opportunities to go and do that, or you can set an appointment. But if you're just hey, if you're in town for the ball game and say, you know what, I want to go out and check this stuff out, you can this Sunday, from ten to two. Uh, put uh, two Sterling Drive, that's S-T-I-R-L-I-N-G Drive, in your GPS, and travel over and get more information. Now, in order to bid, you're gonna have to make a deposit. 25000 for the entire property. If you want to buy it all, you certainly can. Or 10000 per track. Now, all checks are returned to unsuccessful bidders, so it's not like you're going to make a deposit and then never uh, recoup that money. You will. So uh, if you win the auction, well, congratulations. If you don't, you do get your money back. So it's risk-free in that respect. But uh, we want to make sure people have uh, made a deposit, kind of some earnest money of sorts uh, to ensure that uh, they are, you know, serious about these bids. And uh, I, I think it's an amazing thing. It's going to be some telephone, online bidding. You don't have to be available, uh, but they will have the live auction there. And there's five lakes on this property. And one of the best things about it is the infrastructure is already there. There's power, there's sewer, there's water. So it's not like you're just buying a pasture and you got to figure it all out for yourself. Sewer water, electricity, all in place ready for you to get going with your construction. A lot of high traffic uh, in the neck of the woods. And again, you know, wouldn't you like to be a neighbor of Mississippi State? Part of this property butts up against the North Farm there. And so that's how close you would be to campus. It's amazing. And the fact that this is available, this close to campus, is uh, one of those things, one of those marvels in life you look at and say, you know, is it really that close to campus? Is it really that cool the property? Yes, it is. And there's no zoning out there either. So check it out. Again, internationalauctionllc.com, or just give them a call at 888-861-0999. And again, three scheduled showings, but if you need an appointment, they can make one for you. But again, this Sunday, 10 to 2, next Sunday, 10 to 2, and then Wednesday, the day before the auction, on the 11th uh, from uh, 10 to 2, and that's all central. But uh, you can make an, an appointment at any time and go out there and check out the property. Excited to offer this opportunity to you. Again, it's internationalauctionllc.com. All right, we got some baseball scrimmages coming up uh, while you're in town. In case you're unfamiliar, we do do those sorts of things here in the fall. So if you're in town this afternoon, we're going to gather together at uh, Duty Noble Field at 3 o'clock. So 3 p.m. today. There will be no baseball scrimmage on Saturday because you know we're playing a football game? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you'll be able to uh, kind of have sports in your weekend all weekend. This Sunday, 1 p.m. will be your scrimmage time. And then Monday, if you're looking for a reason to stay in town, Monday at 3 p.m. So three scrimmages here in the next four days. And and we're getting close to kind of wrapping up fall. You know, we'll have, uh, you know, the uh, the trip to Louisiana Tech coming up. And then we'll host UAB and begin to kind of start winding things down. Some things are beginning to settle, uh, as we discussed on the show kind of figuring some things out, you know, who's going to start and that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, a lot, a lot to figure out. Uh, pretty impressive so far. And uh, also of note, too, collegiate baseball ranks, the incoming Mississippi State uh, signing class is number 10 in the country. Uh, and we share in the meantime, we've got some young guys, too, that uh, we expect some big things from, uh, Jackson McKenzie being one of them. I don't know that that's a name that uh, got thrown around a lot is uh, we got into the Major League Baseball draft. There were people all excited you know, about uh, you know, Makai Grant, who uh, has been outstanding. But I think it's important to understand that we have an influx of talent. we got a lot of guys that are coming in doing some great things. And uh, it's important to understand this is a baseball season that is extremely important, not just for Mississippi State baseball, but certainly Chris Simonis. The pieces are there to be a very good team just how quickly can Justin Parker get these guys up to speed. I've been impressed so far what I've seen from pitching, and that's the thing too, not everybody's going out dominating, but you're having some guys that are having impressive outings, and you're seeing some guys, uh, Nate Dome specifically, week to week to week getting better with every outing. And uh, I do believe he is going to be a factor in the starting rotation. Uh, is that where our needs are best served? You know, potentially. You know, we talked a lot about that in the postseason, that, you know, we had to go find our Friday night guy. Perhaps we had one here. You know, Carson Ligon, of course, has had an appearance, and Cal Stevens has had a couple. Uh, Bradley Lofton, obviously, has done some things. Does he stay on Tuesdays? Does he go to the weekend? uh, uh Sinjay is another guy, too, that uh, pitched some big innings for us last year. And I think the whole thing with him, uh, with Gerangelo is just getting his confidence back. You know, get his confidence back, kind of get him going. We know that he is a guy that can really, really pitch. He's a guy that uh, is very competitive. And he had some good outings for State last year. But towards the end of the year, it seemed like he really struggled to find the zone. I'm eager to find out all the parameters of the new strike zone this year. Because last year it was a little more of a, um, you know, it was a tighter zone because we really weren't given the benefit of the corners. But uh, what, what they do when you go to fall scrimmages, and you'll see this if you haven't attended yet, is uh, on the school board, they have, you know, the track man zone. And so you're able to see, you know, pitch velo and exit velo, but also location. Uh, the thing that I have been impressed with is we are doing a really good job keeping the ball down more times than not. Uh, when I thought about last year, you know, when you have, you know, guys like, uh, you know, Landon Sims, you know, and you got Will Bednar guys that can throw a two-seamer and a four-seamer and uh, have some rise in the zone, but also to have some bite with the slider, you can call pretty much what you want. And last year, and really the last two years, it appears that we've kind of tried to to run that same pitching strategy with pitchers that perhaps aren't quite as talented. And I think when you look at this group, I think the talent is there. Uh, how will Parker kind of utilize them uh, as we you know, kind of get into the preseason? But listening to Parker talk about his philosophy, you know, he, he continues to say, you know, hey, we have the talent. It's just a matter of us uh, you know, finding a way to harness that. And There were some things they did. I mean, you look at how, how hard that Nate throws, and then you go out there and you see him throw it these days, and um, it's a little more effortless. It looks a little more fluid. So what that tells me is that Parker's vision is kind of taking root, because you know, we know what we have at Nate. We do. At least we think we do. Uh, but I've been impressed with him, and uh, it doesn't appear to be that he's kind of fighting himself. There were times, you know, kind of Nate got by on just being able to throw harder. But I think the way that, uh, you know, he has embraced uh, the Parker pitching philosophy, you're seeing him have a more fluid motion. Uh, There's some other guys out there, too, that, uh, you know, Evan sierry is a guy, too, that had a really good summer. And so the pieces are there. Uh, on the pitching side. And that's really your big concern, right? I mean, we all feel like offensively we're going to be a big club. We're going to probably have the best 3-4 uh, duo in the country in Dakota Jordan and Hunter Hines. And I think both of those guys will uh, have a chance to hit 20 home runs or more this year. Uh, you're starting to see Logan Kohler put the ball in play with a more regularity. Uh, and I think it's interesting that uh, Steven Spalletta played some at third uh, last weekend. As you guys are aware, he's not just a catcher. He is a guy that can help you somewhere. And I think the way that uh, his bat has kind of really come around this fall, I think he's a guy challenging for early playing time. It's a true freshman. And, you know, Jackson McKenzie is a guy that uh, you can play left. Uh, he's a guy that could potentially be a first baseman down the road. But uh, we needed another left-handed stick. I think we found that with him. But when you start running through the numbers here and you start looking at uh, this potential starting lineup, uh, you've got some guys with some real uh, pop in the bat. Uh, Connor Hyzak has played a pretty good center field this fall. In the scrimmages that I've attended, of course, Mike Nemeth has uh, attended all of them, and uh, we've had full breakdowns and and uh, you know box scores and things of that nature uh, on every game. Uh, but some difficult decisions will have to be made here in the weeks ahead. You know, Chris Simonis and the staff obviously are over the roster limits, so there'll be some players that uh, you know will not be a part of the program come the season. Some of them will red some of them. Uh, you know, want some of them will leave the program and go to a junior college. I mean, that's kind of how things work. And looking around the league this year, a lot of people are carrying bigger rosters in the fall. Uh, and so I think that's good. Number one, to save wear and tear on pitchers. But uh, the more options you have, the better a program you're going to be. But I'm excited about what is to come. But like all of you, it's like, hey, you know, we were excited last year, and we thought, okay, you know, 2022 was an anomaly. We'll get it figured out. You know, you can kind of explain away some of our struggles, right? You said, well, you know what? We lost Landon Sims uh, on Friday night down there at Tulane. Of course, you lose Don Simmons the same weekend. It's taken him two years to get back. Uh, Brooks Auger the guy, obviously, that kind of emerged from that. But we had so many injuries that year. You look at it and say, you know what? Okay, I can kind of explain this away. But well, then last year, you begin to replicate some of those same issues, and didn't have the same number of injuries or the severity of those injuries. You did have some, of course. Pico was a guy that uh, you know we didn't have last year, and, and uh, he's already throwing again. You know, so there's some hope that we'll have him uh, this year. Everybody says he's ahead of schedule, you know, and we hope that's the case because uh, we certainly could have used him last year. But at the end of the day. Uh, two years of futility on the mound, and we had to make a change. And there were some times last year we actually pitched it pretty well. But by and large, we just didn't have the guys we needed and had to depend on so many of these young guys that just weren't prepared. Well, now they've got the benefit of a full season under their belt, and they've got uh, you know Justin Parker kind of fine-tuning their delivery a little bit, kind of crafting some things. But uh, the thing that I continue to hear is leadership. This is a group that has some very vocal leaders, and that's one of the things you always want, too, is you want your better players to also be great leaders. You know, Hunter Hines is a guy that's going to go out there and hit you 25 bombs, drive in a bunch of runs, and play a solid first base for you. Uh, Not the most vocal guy. Dakota is. Dakota Jordan is. And this is a guy that's a first-round talent. And it's interesting, too, to read some comments. I know recently he was named – one of the top 20 players uh, for the upcoming draft, and I saw some of our people uh, begin to get a little critical of that. that that's not Mississippi State, people. Yeah, you know, Dakota Jordan is a first-round draft pick uh, in the eyes of many people in Major League Baseball. And uh, rather than us go out there and try to uh, provide a counterpoint to the detriment of one of our own players, uh, we should be supporting him because he is going to be a guy that's going to have to be a big part of things uh, this year. He is well-respected around the league. I can assure you of that. There are a lot of people that were hoping that he would go in the portal and stay in the portal and perhaps leave and come to their program or at least get out of the league, uh, but he's back. And so you feel really good about the middle of that order. Uh, we've got to get some depth. You've got to have some length in the order. You know, the teams that win are teams that get production from the bottom third of the order. And in addition to that, they always find a way to, to, uh, to piece things together on Sundays from a pitching standpoint. Uh, the good thing is we have some options now where previously we really didn't have a lot of options. Uh, Stone Simmons is back. Uh, Stone has looked good. I, I still think that he is a guy that will compete in that closer role. You'd love to have had Aaron Nixon back. I mean, that you, that was not a great development for Mississippi State. You wish that kid the best. And uh, obviously, uh, when people show up with a check and say, hey, here's where we are, and you're not going to have much leverage next year, the deal won't be nearly this good next year. Um Yeah, people have to do what's best for themselves. And so, you know, good for Aaron, but uh, it provides an opportunity for somebody else. But, you know, we'll see. And then Nate Williams, the guy that was the number one junior college closer in the country, you know, showed up on campus and, you know, was basically into a UCL, uh, you know, protocol very, very quickly. And he's the guy that's got to throw strikes. But, you know, by the time you get into conference play, perhaps he's found it. And so you've got some options, and we'll kind of begin to move forward with all this, but – you know, based on the returns of fall, and I'll, I'll sit down and speak with Chris Amonis here pretty soon just to kind of get his, uh, you know, his opinion on things right now, kind of get his take on where things stand. Uh, I'm optimistic. And, again, you look around the league this year, I don't think the league is going to be quite what it has been. I think Arkansas is going to be outstanding. LSU will be really good again. Uh, you, you expect that. But, uh, you know, with Tommy White back and, uh, you know, the way they've worked the portal as well as they have on a pitching standpoint, uh, that'll be interesting. You know, they lose so much production from that pitching staff. But, uh, you know, the West will be wild again. It always tends to be. Uh, but I think there is a lot of parity in the league this year, and, and uh, whoever hits on their transfers is probably going to take a step forward, and we're hoping that it's us. Remind you, too, if you hadn't done so, go to whenthebottomfalls.com and you can pre-order When the Bottom Falls, and uh, that'll be out in a few weeks I still don't have the actual release date. You know, when we first got ready to get done, we were hoping to get it done uh, end of September, first part of October. That doesn't appear to be the case, but uh, once I get a release date, uh, we'll get that to you. But uh, while you're there, you can also pick up all of my sports books. That's Alpha Dogs, Stark Villains, Flim Flam, and Dogpile, and every Bulldog fan needs to have a copy of Dogpile, whether they read or not. One day you're going to want to go back and recount the NFL championship season and you can read it as it happened, in the words of the players and coaches, as it happened, rather than a revisionist history. You know, I saved every interview uh, throughout that season, so we had that information readily available to us. And so you get comments and quotes that are both timely uh, and then, of course, some at the end that are about, you know, in hindsight, kind of what it all meant. And uh, really proud of that work. I think that chapter one of that book is some of the best writing I've ever done. I think the best thing I've ever written is chapter 19 in the new book, which is the final chapter. But it's one of those things, too. You, you've got to read the previous 18 to fully appreciate uh, 19. And uh, the significance of 19, of course, that's uh, when I got sober. I got clean and sober. So uh, that's what that's all about. And uh, in many respects, I was a hopeless drug addict. And uh, some people that love me uh, refused to give up on me. And I was able to find a new way to live. And so my hope is, is that uh, if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, uh, that you can uh, share that book with them. And perhaps it'll provide some hope in, uh, in their lives. Because, uh, you know, I always say, don't ever surrender to people you love to drugs and alcohol. Just don't do it. Don't give up on them. Don't give up. All right, if you're not a member of jeanspage.com, you should be. You can get two months of coverage for one buck, and that'll get you through football season. And I figure by the time you get through that, you'll be so excited about recruiting, you'll want to re-up with us. But uh, two months for $1, it's a great deal. Two months of coverage, the best coverage in the history of Mississippi State University for just $1. Uh, be sure and come check that out. Take full advantage of that today. If you've got a friend or neighbor that loves Mississippi State and said, you know, I've always wanted to to check out, you know, jeanspage.com and 247 Sports, maybe you give it to them as a gift. So here you go. I'm going to give you two months. Here's a, here's a nice little test drive and you can come be a part of it and uh, follow the ebb and flow. And uh, we've got uh, a lot of really great posters that are very knowledgeable and we've got some that... You know, they're just very passionate about Mississippi State, and they've got a lot to share. And uh, we certainly need you to be a part of that discussion. Come over there and be a part and uh, read all of our great content. Most of our team coverage is free, uh, but our recruiting stuff, by and large, and um, you know, our one-on-one interviews, of course, are VIP. We've got to be able to you know, pay the light bill. You know, so come be a part of that. Again, two bucks – excuse me, two months for one dollar. $1. All right, so we're back with you on a regular schedule. I think we had a regular schedule this week, even though I had to do it all over the country. But um, I will be um, in Starkville, I guess, the next time we leave will be when we head to Arkansas here in two weeks. So two weeks from today, we'll finish up the Friday show, and then we'll head to uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, and uh, spend some time with the new grandbaby and, uh, and the family up there. We'll cover the ball game on Saturday, head back on Sunday. So, uh, again, you'll have a pretty regular schedule uh, for the rest of the football season, barring something totally unforeseen. And uh, look forward to being back with you guys on Monday. Hopefully, we're we'll recapping a day for the ages because, uh, you know, our wins against Alabama have been few and far between, uh, especially in this current generation. You know, Jackie Sherrill, of course, had a three, three-year three winning streak against those guys, 96, 97, 98. And since that time, it's been decidedly in favor of Alabama with the exception of those two years for uh, Sylvester Croom in 06 and 07. So, um, could be a day. I'm just not expecting it, you know. And that's the best thing about sports. Sometimes you get what you don't expect. And sometimes you get better than you expect. And perhaps that'll be the case. It'll be so much fun to uh, to recap an upset of Alabama on Monday. Just not expecting that to happen. Hate to be the Debbie Downer, uh, but that's how I feel about it. And uh, look forward to uh, seeing so many of you around campus on Saturday. That's one good thing about the late kick is uh, we get plenty of time to kind of congregate and socialize and catch up with each other and, you know, hug some necks and shake some hands and all that good stuff. All right, but until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. I'm not going